From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this is The Podvocate, where law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about this episode and our guest, please check out our social media pages. Hey everyone, my name is Maris Medina. I am an associate editor on the pod this year and welcome to my inaugural episode here on the pod. I'm really excited to introduce myself and start exploring legal issues and areas that I really care about. So I wanted to get the ball rolling with an episode on intellectual property. For a little bit of context, the World Intellectual Property Organization defines IP as creations of the mind that include inventions, literary works, designs, names, etc. that are generally used in commerce. This kind of IP is then protected by law via patents, copyrights, and trademarks. IP was one of those legal areas that at first felt really nebulous to me. I like to say my origin story goes beyond law school. It was when I first started my big girl job as a video journalist in Washington, D.C. before law school. I was producing a ton of my own IP, so this was dozens of short, quick-hit videos a day to a handful of short documentaries and video explainers every week. So in that job, I used assets from other photographers and videographers, as well as stories from reporters on my outlets team. When I got to Loyola, IP really appealed to me because of this prior career in journalism, and I was also intrigued by this possibility of blending a traditional career in the law with creativity and more creative assets. But something that made me a bit anxious was this question that has been sitting in the back of my head for a while now, but basically the question is, how would I be able to and would I be able to connect an IP career with my innate Y Law School, which is to amplify the voices of and fight for the rights of marginalized communities. This was the main reason that I wanted to transition from a career in journalism to a career in law. And I think because IP is somewhat nebulous, you know, at first it didn't hit me how much IP is intertwined with social justice and civil rights issues. After doing some research over the summer for my one else pro professor, Professor Ho, and specifically helping her look into how trade secrets can impact public health issues, and then later taking her general class in intellectual property, it started to make me think about the ways in which IP is not fully divorced from other issues that seem to belong in other legal areas. From the medicine we consume to the movies we watch, there's a lot of meaningful IP that can really impact everyday people and have big consequences on our lives. Even just within the sub-area of patents, there's one issue that I've been really wanting to explore further, and that's the gender patent gap. What does it mean for women identifying folks that women only make up 13% of patent holders? Well, there's potential for real-life harm. Science Magazine notes that this could mean less critical procedures and products that could essentially benefit women. To get a first-hand perspective on the gender patent gap, I spoke to Sherry Matthews. She's the CEO and founder of Heal and Comfort, 
which is a company dedicated to helping women and men heal in comfort and dignity after a mastectomy surgery in their battles against breast cancer. Sherry has an award-winning and patented post-operative garment shirt. So I spoke to her about her journey of patenting her invention and what the broader field of IP, IP officials, and our collective society can do better in closing the gender patent gap. Please note, all opinions expressed on the pod are solely those of the individual and do not express the views or opinions of guests, employers, or Loyola University Chicago. My name is Sherry Matthews. I'm stationed in, for easy sake to say, Austin, Texas. Everybody kind of knows where Austin, Texas is. And I actually took a hard part of my life which was being diagnosed with breast cancer and turned it into a good thing for others. So my whole journey and including protecting my IP, my intellectual property was um, part of the journey. So I, that's what I do. And I, I'm the founder of Heal in Comfort instead of Heal in Burlap. <laughs> so it's Heal in Comfort. A little background on how is an inventor created in a little girl's brain? I think that is really valuable in my opinion. Let's start with that then, and then we can kind of expand a bit to, to your story. Going back and how it even happens, I believe it starts in the home. It starts in childhood. So my father was the one who raised me, and he was absolutely, positively not the man nor the dad to do things for me so he would always um, like even irritating things like sprinkler heads would break right not interesting when you're a teenager and you're really cool yeah getting out (laughs) in the middle of the grass and looking at a broken sprinkler head not interesting but he would challenge me this way either you can fix it or you can go down to the store and buy a new one and I'm like that's even more time And so I literally take the dumb sprinkler head apart and try to figure out what was stuck. And, you know, so it started very, very young. And I think that is a big takeaway. And that is inside the home, allow the gate to open in conversation to say, how would you solve this versus give it to your brother, he'll fix it. Anything quick and fast from a little a little child, I believe the call to action for young parents is to whether they're little boys or little girls, they have a brain Mm -hmm. (laughs) that can be activated like any brain and um, open that door of problem solving very early, critical thinking, uh, you know, we're going to have to move into that anyways, problem solving. So my, my thing is just open that door and then actually introduce other female inventors into your child's life. Even if you have a a teenager and stuff, you can still pull out the references to see some cool female inventors. Most of my role models were inside of IBM. And when you're inside of IBM, they own all your inventions. Not a good or bad thing, you have a great support system. But as far as being outside of the corporations, uh, I don't have anybody that really oh there's some mathematicians i know Mm -hmm. that 3m a lot of female 
inventors, but they're in their space. They're finding yeah. a better glue and a better this and that. Because women think differently. Mm. Our problem solving is different. This is my battle cry. Write it out, submit it, and give it a try. See if it sticks. Yeah. You know, it's got to have a shock and awe value in it. So it has to be something new and novel. It can't be just a slightly better mousetrap. It has to be a better mousetrap. I know that you you're talking generally in terms of what parents can do in in the household. Are there any things that like schools can do or after school clubs can do in terms of of opening the gates for for girls? Yes, I'm a big you know a steam supporter. So that's good exposure, right, to critical thinking, problem solving. But guess what? They still don't get ushered in with the red carpet that boys do. It's never in part of the conversation. It's like you could do a math equation or make a little thing go with steam or whatever, right? I mean, you can do these experiments and that's great. Coding and girls who code and it's all good. But I still think we're missing a big piece of the action, which is the gates swings wide open and the instructor says, you did fabulous in STEM class, but did you know that what you came up with actually could be patented and you mm -hmm. can have uh, your intellectual property protected and rewarded and possibly licensed? Oh my gosh, these children, are, these young people right now are so brilliant. And that's where I say I put pressure on the parents and the educators. They need to continue the conversation, not yeah. just give them a grade in STEM class. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really good point. And I think for some discussion, that's where it stops. Like, you know, we'll have more STEM classes or more STEAM classes and that's kind of it. But I like what you're advocating for having that extra push. I think that's really crucial. For people who are not as familiar with intellectual property and IP law, could you, in your words, explain why IP exists and what why it's important to protect these different ideas or products? Yeah, so intellectual property protection uh, basically is ownership. It's like your car. You have a title to your car. It's not cool if 40 people lined up every morning to drive your car and take it away from you. You don't have any ownership. Why it's advantageous is when you own your own IP, you can actually have people come and pay you for your great ideas. They can license it. They can acquire it. But it's nothing but a great idea in the kitchen if you don't file. And my, my pretty much world blew open when I was 22 years old in IBM the dream job. I love IBM. I walked into a boardroom of all like MIT, professor brain, bow tie people. It did not look like me. And yes, I felt like passing out. And I, this is my final test. And what I was uh, presented in front of everybody as a scared 22 year old, oh, is a stapler. They put a stapler now you got to talk. I'm 63. So this is back in the day. They staple things and put them on your desk. That was our email. Okay. Yeah. So I know that's funny, but that's a lot of stapling for the, our office managers. Yeah. And so they put this stapler in my hand. They said, you have one minute to reinvent, innovate the stapler. The brain says not possible. It already works. 
I don't have to have any bandwidth on that. I'm in trouble. I cannot innovate a stapler. But I did remember one conversation listening to the office managers. They'd get like a, a wound on their hand from slamming that skinny little stapler, right? I grabbed a coaster off the table. I put it on top of the stapler and I said, increase the surface area to alleviate the hand, the pressure, and you have a better stapler than the one that exists. Got the little golf club. And they're like, I can't believe she did this. And I was in. The next project I had once I was in the innovation section was problem solving for NASA. So I oh went from- Stapler to uh, NASA. <laughs> yeah, I went from innovating a stupid stapler to actually problem solving for NASA's uh, chips at that point. Uh, I'm a big believer in Wayne Gretzky's, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Let that drill in. I wanted to run out of that room. It was not a comfortable situation. But if I don't even try to take a shot on goal, how will I know if I made it? So I have the confidence to try things that actually make you want to pass out. <laughs> so sometimes the scary things are actually the more exciting things. And my stapler to NASA story is one of those stories. What led you to working at this specific um, department at IBM? Yeah, so I was actually a lot of testing in college that, you know, they do the um, where you're gifted and, and everything. And, and mine all came up with the top 1% in male and female and science professional. I'm like, gag me. Like, <laughs> no, I want to do something cool. Because <laughs> you got to think about I grew up in a, I'm 63. So I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And guess mm -hmm. what? They did not talk about women being NASA anything, right? Well, when I did the testing, I scored so high off the chart on that. I went that way because um, I was looking to be rewarded, you know, for financially. And I wanted to do something that was inherently easy for me, even though I hadn't prior identified that that might be easy because it was never in the conversation I mean shout out to your dad like I feel like we keep going back to him and how he he opened those those gates for you even my first car he stripped it down tires are off the carburetor was apart the, the battery was apart I came out thinking I was all that 16 I have a car a Mustang Ghia and I'm thinking, I'm going to drive to school and I'm going to be a badass. I'm going to look cool. All my friends are going to think I'm amazing. I walked out and my car was in pieces all over the driveway. And he oh said, my God. Oh. I said, what did you do? It was a used car. You know, he's just, yeah. you know, he's not, you understand what you drive. Will you drive it? I had to learn how to do whatever, what a brake pad was. And, yeah. You know, all of those things. And so I had to take the dumb bus, humbled as can be. And then in between school, it's tinkering and on your car, cords, and I'm sitting there picking up this big tire. Oh my god! You know, weighing 114 pounds and trying to lift it up on a thing with no help. So I had to go to the shop class in high school to have the shop guys teach me about what a car, what's a carburetor, why does it work? But I put it together, and I was the coolest. Girl. I was gonna say you were—you probably were the cool girl when you finished yeah. everything. Mustang gear with a uh, velour seats. They're oh like my a God, velour awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know. That's so cool. Just 
I, I guess in terms of like growing up during those times and obviously you, you mentioned yourself that like there weren't a lot of women inventors or just like probably women in general in spaces like such as this could you kind of explain what that was like for you how how was that growing up you had to absolutely believe in your vision like you're doing and as your students are doing and going into law you have a desire to make a difference and fix things i'm sure in your mind you're like oh, I'm fixing that when I'm in there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to watch over that, right? So you have a calling, a cause. So even though all around me was nothing that I looked like for me to even have a friend, not even a sister in there, (laughs) um, I was really called to where I thought I could get to. I didn't look at the circumstances to hold me back. I got nervous. I'm going to be honest. I'm human. And I did have my apprehensions where I'm like, well, maybe, well, what if you fail? What if you get mm-hmm. this far and you bomb it and you're a girl? They're going to say, oh, that's because it was a girl. Yeah. I don't know. I just really believe in being very tenacious on your dream. I just think the integrity that you have in deep inside when no one else is watching, I'm super proud of taking that shot. It's not by your circumstantial evidence and everybody cheering you on because sometimes they don't cheer you on in fact you have the opposite I was just gonna say there's there's so much to that that I I can personally relate to uh, as a woman of color in law there's gonna be a lot of times where people are just not gonna be cheering for you and so sometimes there's nothing about you at all it's always about them you had to have that thought in your head say I think I want to go into law oh yeah because there's millions of people that look just like you from the same background that have done it go for it no it takes courage then I was diagnosed with breast cancer which is not in my family I'm organic eater part of my journey but I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I discovered the hard way after a double mastectomy which is a brutal surgery or removal of both breasts that are infected with cancer that there's no equipment, adaptive clothing Mm. for me to shelter my body in. And I had medical drains coming out of the sides of my body. And when I said, what do I do with these drains? The nurse says, don't worry, we provide, get it, right? In a hospital, provide safety pins. As a person who failed home ec, I didn't have a lot of confidence in making a garment. That's what's interesting about this story. So even if it's not in your field, but you have a really cool idea, a solution for others, go for it. Because I failed home ec and I have now helped with my design, patented design for cancer patients that's adaptive. It holds the medical drains. You look like you go in a spin class. You don't look like a sickly zombie person. 150,000 patients. Again, the whole message I want to be on your podcast for is absolutely take your shots. I think something that's like so powerful about your story is it kind of emphasizes this crazy notion that like this didn't exist for women. There's so many unmet needs of women such as this. And it's it's just really incredible that you were able to find a solution using, unfortunately, your own lived experiences that really sucked. And, you know, I do want to tell you, I help a lot of men. I did Mm -hmm. make it unisex, like just think about spin class. But you're so right. Think about the kid fixing the sprinkler head. Yeah. Going then down the road. 
to breast cancer, yeah. but still believing that I can solve a problem right. and having the tormenting thought of, no, you can't, you failed home ec. The number one thing a cancer patient goes through, especially one that has had a big surgery or they've had chemo or whatever, there's medical drains. So you look like a science experiment. Your self-esteem is severely attacked. So there's a lot of things going against you. And then you try to get in your closet and look for adaptive clothing to do what? Hold medical drains, but I can't even scratch my nose. Limited, limited movement. I designed something that you could dress even with one hand. Independent dressing. I know it sounds crazy because we all got up this morning and got dressed all by ourselves and didn't think about it. But when you've had that taken away from you, it is a deal for independence. So I made sure that my, the material was feather soft, moisture wicking, technical, and easy to get on and off with the patient's limited movement and hold the medical drains inside the shirt and look like you're going to spin class. Makes you look like a person. And that's yeah. really what you want to do is just be a person. Right. The pro I mean, I imagine the process is already like so dehumanizing to anybody yeah. who's going through it. So I, I, yeah, I definitely commend you for centering that aspect of you just want to look like a person. Your dignity has been stripped from you. For me, I was a young mom. So you have to be warrior face. And how do you do that when you can't even, I mean, I told, they told me to bring my husband's uh, big old dress shirt or something. I, I just really didn't feel like that was appropriate clothing when I felt so bad about myself. The heartbeat behind it is comfort and dignity. Kind of pissed me off, to be honest, that I really believe this. A sprained elbow gets a sling, and if a man lost all his man parts, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't send him home in his wife's skirt because it's not binding. But for women going through this and men, I do help men, but for women going through this brutal surgery, this right. attack on your mind, your soul, and they don't offer, they offered me safety pins, blew my mind. Yeah. A man would have a George Jetson flying velvet pillow if he had hurt his man parts. <laughs> and I, I've been married for 35 years. I'm not attacking men. I'm just saying yeah. such an oversight to not take care of women's bodies after such a brutal surgery. Exactly. And I think that's like a theme that underscores this whole conversation. And even outside of the medical field and health, how many products would really truly benefit women and are just not being invented or patented because of all the different hurdles? So I say it's unfortunate, but let's look what our pioneers did for us. Okay, they opened the doors. So we can say it's really unfortunate women weren't able to vote. It is. It sucked, right? For people. And now, not only vote, poof, off they go. So I think it's actually a great set point once you discover that women's ideas can be the IP of the future. Do you have any ideas for programs and initiatives that private and public corporations can kind of do, you know, enact in order to help women inventors? And we have something in Austin called SCORE. And they help also free mentoring and stuff. But really, this is the deal. You, you can't be it unless you can see it. So the number one resource is actually for women that want to be inventors that have brilliant ideas is to get into these women's groups. See people changing the world with their ideas. 
and what they did about it. So there's a lot of responsibility than women uh, putting their hands on their hip and saying, it's not fair. Anything that's not fair, go change. There are some programs, but you got to check it out. Take the yeah. courage to go in there. What's one thing you wish you would have known going into it? Be Leonardo da Vinci. And that is write your ideas down. Your first step that everybody can do for free is to think of solutions. And Sharon Lecter says, solve a problem, serve a need. If it falls into that category, there's a good chance you have a great idea. Write your ideas down. It's the very first step. Do you know how many women I run into when I do this present, uh, I present the wake up the inventor in you? Because I believe everybody's an inventor. Children invent all the time. They don't file for IP, but they have pretty cool little ideas, right? But I have so many women, raise your hand if you've ever had a good idea. You know, keep your hand up if you've ever, drew, you know, drew it out. Keep your hand up if you made a prototype, means a concept, something that's sort of similar, you know, similar to your idea. It doesn't have to be perfect. Then keep it up if you filed with the USPTO. Phew, gone. Actually, I lose them. I lose 50%, more than 50%, unless they're not telling the truth, uh, that they, they write it down. I don't mm. think I think maybe 10%. So if you have a cool idea, write it down, you can get on with your day. Get it out of your head. Outside of IBM, I would tell you that I've, I've taken some pretty good shots. I'm now working with a, a med tech AI, AI for good, before everybody panics. <laughs> uh, med tech AI for good, a concierge service, which would mean that you would create an avatar like you do in your gaming. So you pick out the avatar that you want. And then as you tell it your journey going through cancer, it never forgets its AI. And it also holds your medical records. It can, it can uh, sound off to go get some financial help, order dinners for you. Your friends can get a notification from our avatar that we build a little cute avatar that says, hey, Sherry's got a, you know, a request. So let's say I pick 20 people. I can't, I don't have enough bandwidth and energy to tell 20 people how my radiation went. I don't have the time, but I can tell my one little best friend and then the best friend is the messenger. So it's called a RAS 99, Recovery as a Service 99. Okay. It's a startup in Austin. That's awesome. And it's really cool to hear that you're, you're still producing really, you know, cool solutions for cancer patients. Bringing tech into it now, bringing tech. Yeah. And one last thing, guys, with the shirt, I'm actually working with a product uh, right, company right now in North Carolina that actually has a smart textile communication type of biometrics uh, that reflect back into the body for healing, speeding up healing and, and mm. cortisol drop and better sleeping. So I'm going to make the world's smartest recovery shirt and I'm telling it on your <laughs> podcast because the world doesn't know it yet, but I've just sent in my samples. That's so awesome. Congrats. Heal and comfort. Heal and comfort. Next step is smart textile heal and comfort to start communicating just by wearing it. By wearing it. That's my next other next thing. <laughs> 
That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the.podvocate for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Neka Ugu and Andy Vandenbush. Our senior editors are Marcus McNeil and Casey Callahan. Our associate editors are Ben Recht, Maris Medina, Johannes Alvarez-Rivero, and Karin Kushal. Special thanks to Professor Radhika Sutherland and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.